Good evening and welcome to our evening service. Good to see you folks here this evening as we come together to uh, worship the Lord. Welcome to those folks on Zoom as well. It's just good for us to be able to come worship the Lord together. We're glad to have Kurt with us this evening, and he's going to come now to uh, read the scripture and to lead us in prayer. Okay, thank you, Rail. I just noticed that this this hymn ties into both Rael's morning message this morning, No Condemnation Now I Dread, Jesus and All in Him is Mine. And it ties into this message tonight, Alive in Him, My Living Head, and Clothed in Righteousness Divine. So uh, I selected the hymn because I like it, but I see that it's uh, it fits very well. All right, our passage for uh, for reading before the message, is Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 31. And uh, this passage we read this morning, and we're continuing on in it. And I'm in the rather unique, privileged position where I had a a sermon slot, and so I'm using it to augment the uh, the morning class. So there's going to be some overlap here. But let's, uh, let's look at the passage and we'll read it. Romans 3, 21 to 31. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Verse 27, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? He is not also the, is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we not then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. And we pray that the Lord's word would prosper in our hearts tonight as we open up this particular passage and we look at a number of other passages dealing with clothing and clothing imagery in Scripture. I just couldn't resist. I wanted to take a bigger chunk of the clothing imagery from this morning and look at some other uses of that imagery in Scripture. Let's join our hearts together in a word of prayer. Father, with great joy, we come to your word again and as we long to draw near to you and understand your word, we ask, Lord, that, uh, that our hearts would be yielded to your Holy Spirit, that your Holy Spirit would impart to us a knowledge of your word, and that, that blessing would help to transform our hearts. We know, Lord, that by the mysterious working of your Spirit, you have opened our eyes, and even now are, are sanctifying us with the washing of the water and by the word. And so, Lord, we, we ask that your, you find our hearts uh, yielded, and uh, teachable tonight. Help us to contemplate the uses of 
clothing as an image in scripture so that we can see and understand what we need to, to, uh, uh, to, to understand the greater themes of scripture. And Father, we, we pray that through this, uh, this study tonight, that we would look to you with greater thanksgiving and greater understanding of the processes that you use to make atonement for us. We thank you, Lord, for, for your atoning work and for the ministry of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So you know, in a sense, why we're here, because this message is related to the, the adult class in the morning, and we've been talking about righteousness by faith, and we've been talking about the image of clothing representing a covering and, uh, and righteousness. So tonight is going to be, it'll be a little bit like a Bible study, because I'm going to be starting with a survey of the use of clothing. And so the first two sections have a lot of points, so I'm going to go fairly quickly through them. So we're talking about the subject of clothing, and I'll just, uh, uh, we can just, well, why don't we pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll get into it. Father, again, we thank you for your word, and we ask particularly at this time that your Holy Spirit minister to us, minister understanding, and help us to, to relate what, uh, what we hear tonight with the pages of Scripture and understand with greater clarity the, uh, the use of clothing and, uh, and help us in particular to understand how it represents the foreign righteousness of Christ that we possess by faith. Minister to our hearts, Father, we pray that, we, that your Holy Spirit would set these, these important truths in our hearts so that we might live uh, in the knowledge of, of this doctrine. For your great name's sake, we, uh, we ask. Amen. All right, so clothing is referred to directly in Scripture uh, nearly 300 times. And so it's used frequently, and there's a reason for that. It's often used to, to teach uh, biblical principles. And this is because of our familiarity with, with clothing. It makes it ideal for communicating uh, God's truth. And the most important concept taught using clothing is the doctrine of justification. And this is all about what we've been talking about in the, in the morning class. We are covered through believing in the atoning work of Christ. And, the, and we are justified because Christ's righteousness is imputed to us by faith. And so the picture is one of clothing, a covering. And so tonight we're going to look at four different divisions. First will be a survey of the use of clothing in Scripture. Uh, then special passages dealing with clothing, and then focusing on clothing as a covering. And then finally, the application of those other things with another application, which is the, uh, the use of uh, clothing in this picture of justification by faith. So we'll, uh, we'll go through the, the survey here rather quickly. And I think uh, as I go through these, I'll, I'll read out the, uh, the passages, but we're not going to turn there because... Uh, I think we'll have a time problem if we do that. So, um, so let's look at clothing in general. We, clothes are important to people nowadays, and uh, maybe more important than they should be, but they're important to people nowadays. And if, we, if we're getting ready to, to go out, our clothing selection will determine whether we're getting dressed up or we're just being casual in our clothing. Now, clothing can also give authority when we think of a uniform uh, authority, uh, or, or a crown, for example gives a person authority. And uh, clothing can also give protection from an injury. And, uh, and I'm thinking now Ephesians chapter 6, the uh, armor, putting on the whole armor of God. 
We certainly want the protection that armor gives when we're about to go into uh, warfare. Um, clothes can identify social status. A, a wealthy man usually wears fine, expensive clothing, and the social elite always display the latest fashions. Of course, fashion itself is a multi-billion dollar industry. And in the Bible, people can be clothed with more than just garments. And that makes this a very, uh, a very versatile uh, picture or image. Uh, people can be clothed with colors uh, or things or attributes. Uh, one that is clothed with purple, and purple is made from a, a shellfish in the Mediterranean. It was an expensive dye. Uh, and it, that's connected with royalty, purple. Uh, white scarlet clothing, uh, uh, while scarlet clothing uh, dyed red, is uh, that dye comes from insects found in oak trees. And it denotes luxury and expense. And white clothing is always symbolic of righteousness. We read about the, uh, the saints receiving their white clothing uh, in heaven, in, Re in uh, Revelation. Now one can be clothed with, uh, as Job was clothed, with scabs and worms. That's Job 7.5. Or long to be clothed with a heavenly dwelling. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 2. Those baptized are said to have been clothed with Christ. Galatians 3.27 People can be clothed with a host of different attributes, including compassion, dignity, honor, humility, immortality, joy, justice, kindness, majesty, power, righteousness, salvation, splendor, and things imperishable. On the negative side, one can be clothed with darkness, despair, disgrace. One can be clothed with shame or terror or violence. The Bible speaks of not only people being clothed, but Christ himself. And also animals. Yeah, look it up. Jonah 3.8. Animals, things and even places being clothed as well. So the word uses il illustrations like the sky being clothed in darkness. That's Isaiah 51.9. And the hills being clothed with gladness. Psalm 65.12. Zion in Proverbs 31.25 is clothed with strength. And Lebanon is clothed with, with gloom in Ezekiel 31.15. And so this is kind of a smattering of, of uh, the use of, of the clothing imagery. We're going to focus on a few passages here, uh, just hand-picked ones that, that are dealing with clothing. And, uh, and the use of clothing, of course, it makes sense. We're all familiar with clothing and the things that we do with clothing. Uh, we put it on and we take it off. And uh, sometimes several times a day we change clothes. And, uh, you know, we come home from work and change clothes. Clothes get soiled and we need to clean them. And this is all part of our routine. We never talk about this stuff because it's just so routine for us. And clothes can wear out and then we can mend them or discard them. And it's interesting that Deuteronomy 8.4 is, I've listed that there, but the, the Lord provided for their people during their 40 years of desert wanderings. But in this particular case, their clothing did not wear out and their feet did not swell. So whatever jeans they were wearing when on the day that they left Egypt lasted 40 years, according to Scripture. Clothing is often used for trade as something of value. 
sets of clothing, right? It was taken as plunder and it was also used to, uh, to pay debts. And one interesting thing about Christ is Christ's only possession seemed to be his clothing. And he possessed a one-piece seamless undergarment that was divided by lot in fulfillment of Psalm 22, verse 18. So clothing is a basic necessity like food about which Christ has told us not to be anxious because as a necessity, God will provide just the same way he provides for the lilies in the field. Matthew 6.25 talks about that. The laws of the Levitical priesthood was specific that a priest was not to minister wearing wool or anything that would make him perspire, but only linen. Ezekiel 44.17. Wool and linen was not to be interwoven into one fabric, probably an illustration to keep their observance of God's law undefiled by pagan practices. That's found in Deuteronomy 22.11. Now, when clothing gets soiled, it is washed and worn again. And clothing can become defiled through contact with something unclean, or, for example, a, a dead body. The cleansing ritual always includes a washing of the clothes. So we, we read that constantly. A person is unclean until evening, he washes his clothes. And so he used to bathe and wash his clothes. And that's all part, part of the cleansing rituals. So when the people were to consecrate themselves to assemble before the Lord, they were to bathe and wash their clothes, among other things. And that was understood to be part of that cleansing ritual. Now, something that's rather disturbing that you see nowadays uh, uh, is cross-dressing. So we men wearing women's clothing and women wearing men's clothing. Sometimes you see that in the media, on TV and in the movies. But it's important for us to know that, that this is expressly forbidden by God in, De, in Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. Now, when a person was mourning, there's a role for our clothes here as well. Clothing was torn when stricken with grief or indignation. They would just take the collarbone and just tear it. And then they'd go and sit in ashes and put the ashes on their face and on their hands and on their head. It became part of the mourning ritual, as was the wearing of sackcloth. The dark sackcloth is similar to today's practice of wearing dark colors at a funeral. That's interesting. And so sackcloth became associated with ashes and the whole mourning ritual. Matthew 11:21 talks about the mourning ritual. Now, clothing can also be a disguise. And we can see in scripture that a false teacher can appear as a wolf in sheep's clothing. And that's, it. that's found in Matthew 7, 15. Jesus tells us to be aware, be aware. But we'll know them by their fruit. And so that's, that's also helpful for us to be able to spot false teachers. And so there's, some of a, there's a couple of passages that, that we've looked at now that, that deal specifically with clothing. And I hope that you can see that the use of clothing is a very versatile way to convey and teach certain principles. Now let's look at clothing as a covering. Uh, we can see right, right away here that Isaiah 59, six tells us that according to scriptures, clothing that does not cover is useless. And so the whole purpose of clothing is to cover. And, uh, and that's very interesting because the word cover 
is the word that maps on to propitiation. And so we can see just how perfect that picture is of having a, a something to wear as something that obscures or hides. Clothing is a cover. And just, just as a word of advice, it's, it's wise to consider any figurative use of clothing in Scripture as, as a covering. And it's mostly in the context of, uh, of uh, propitiation. And so... So, uh, and we've seen examples of that. So we're going to go through a few examples in scripture of the use of clothing. And uh, I see my time here is, is going by quicker than I thought it would. So that's good. I'm not, I, I don't want to be too, too long tonight because I know we're, we're going to uh, be observing the Lord's Supper. So the first example of the use of clothing is, is in the Garden of Eden and it's in chapter 3. Uh, after the knowledge, their knowledge of sin, and this is after the fall, after they had sinned, Adam and Eve made clothes. If you can remember, according to the account, they sewed fig leaves together and they put them on their bodies and they wore these sets of clothes. And, and you know that, gar, that God was in the garden and, and uh, he found them hiding. And you know about the, the record. Uh, and verse 21 tells us about the Lord making a replacement set of clothing uh, from skins, from animal skins. And that presumes that we're not given the details in Scripture, but that some kind of a sacrifice was made to be able to provide those skins. So God replaced their covering with with one that was leaves sewn together uh, to one in which blood was shed to provide it. And so what we have there is we have a sacrifice and a covering that goes together, sacrifice and covering. And it's that association that makes it significant. Because we know that without the shedding of blood, Hebrews 9.22, there is no forgiveness for sins. And when we look at uh, the blood, and why do we talk about the blood? Well, we know that the blood is the life. After the, the flood, uh, God uh, opened up the, uh, uh, the, the the menu, I guess, for uh, Adam and his family. And uh, he began to speak about blood and what happens when uh, when blood is shed, and because we're we're uh, made in the image of of God, then murder, of course, is is a sin. But the shedding of blood is the taking of a life, and the important thing about blood in in terms of Christ is that his uh, his blood is a witness to his righteousness, his perfect righteousness. So any phrase that talks about the blood of Christ is talking about the perfect righteousness of Christ that satisfies the Father. It satisfies the Father on our behalf. So Adam and Eve are covered by the clothing accompanied by a sacrifice. That's the first example of clothing. And then shortly after in Genesis 4, we read about Abel's sacrifice. And it was different from Cain's, possibly because uh, Abel's was uh, involved blood, the, sh- the shedding of blood. But we also know that, that uh, Cain's heart was not right before the Lord. So, um, so we have we have those examples in Scripture. The next one is kind of an exp- an obscure passage in in the book of Zechariah, and uh, I think I'll read the passage for us so that we'll have a little bit more context. And it has to do with clothing. And I'm just going to read the first five verses of Zechariah chapter three. Zechariah chapter three. The first five verses. This is about Joshua, the high priest. 
Verse 1, then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Verse 3, now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and he was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him saying, take away the filthy garments from him. And to him, he said, see, I have removed your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and they put clothes on him and the angel of the Lord stood by. So Joshua stood before the angel of the Lord uh, representing Israel. Uh, Joshua's filthy clothes were his own righteousness. Zechariah 3.3, 3, our righteous acts like Joshua's are as filthy rags, Isaiah 64.6. But we see here that those filthy clothes representing Joshua's own righteousness, and I use quotes for that, were removed and they were replaced by a set of clean clothes in verse 4, which speak of the purity of the righteousness of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And note that Joshua's passive in all of this. The clothing is taken off him. The clean clothing is put on him. He's passive all the time. And what do we learn from this? We learn that, uh, that the work of, of justification, the application of sanctifying grace is, is all the work of God. It's all the work of God on us. We receive, we receive those gifts. So I ask you, what did Joshua do other than receive God's blessing and justification? That's what we're seeing happening there. And it's a beautiful picture. Take off those filthy garments representing his failed righteousness and taking the, the clean clothing of, of a holy God and putting it on him. And what's being taught here is the, nest, the, the, the need for God's priests to be righteous and to pursue righteousness and to teach righteousness. And lastly, we're going to be looking at a, a couple of different examples. And one of them is clothed with Christ's righteousness. And that's our example that we looked at this morning. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go through this a little bit more quickly because I know that uh, you've been uh, um, sitting through the sessions on this already in the mornings. So we, uh, we understand by the careful wording of verses 21 and 22 uh, in Romans chapter 3. I'll just read those two verses. But now the righteousness of Christ apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. And I'll just stop there. If you believe, you receive from God a gift of the righteousness of Christ. And, and it's good for us to think of receiving that gift and putting it on. And, you know, and we talked about what God sees, what's, what's being obscured there. Um, The putting on of the righteousness of Christ is the exercise of him imputing his righteousness to us. And that's, that's really what's being shown there. So uh, we need to understand what justification is. It's being declared not guilty, being legally acquitted from the guilt of our sin, past, present, and future. We looked at Martin Luther's expression, simul justus et peccator, 
we watched the video with R.C. Sproul that's explaining that though we have sinful habits, we have the garments of Christ on us, we're justified people, but we still have sinful habits that God patiently exercising sanctifying grace works to get rid of all of our unholy tempers, all of the things that plague us, our besetting sins. We submit to God and through working through situations, God undertakes to sanctify us and he transforms us according to what was given in, in Romans 12 to uh, we're, we're changed by the renewing of our minds. We still have those sinful habits that the Holy Spirit slowly cleanses us from, but we're covered. And the reason it's, it's in capitals there is because it's the same root word as, as a, a propitiation, the idea of a covering, and the clothing does that just perfectly. We're covered or clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I'm just smiling because it's uh, we're, we're going through... Uh, uh, We've gone through that and repeated it several times, but the Bible's no stranger to repetition for important doctrines. So it's, uh, it helps to set unmistakably in these things so that we don't forget them. Okay, and we're going to look at uh, this other uh, parable. And uh, I don't think I'm going to, uh, to read through, through it because uh, we're familiar with it from several readings in, in the adult class again. And it's about... It's about a wedding feast. Um, well, why don't I read it? I'll read it through. So Matthew 22, 1 to 14. Yeah, I know. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who were invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. Verse five, but they made light of it and they went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully and killed them. Verse seven, but when the king heard about it, he was furious and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers and burnt up their city. And then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Verse nine, therefore go into the highways and as many as you find invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Verse 11, but when the king came in to see the guests, and this is the important part, and this is the part we refer to here. uh, He saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There he will be weep- There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 14, for many are called, but few are chosen. And the extreme ending is a shock for us when we're talking about a wedding. And now suddenly a person is bound hand and foot thrown out of the wedding and into outer darkness. But it helps us to understand, uh, when we understand the significance of the wedding garment, we see that there was a man here who was simply where he did not belong. And guests were typically given a set of clothing to wear. And this, this would come right from the host 
And so anyone that is not wearing those, those wedding garments would be insulting the host. Before we get into anything else, they would be insulting the host. And so no wonder the host binds and casts out the offender who has tried to enter the heavenly kingdom without trusting in Christ's atoning work on Calvary. So that's the parallel here. We're not really talking about a wedding feast in the context of the offender being thrown out. He was, he was trying to enter heaven without going through the door, Jesus Christ, without having and possessing by faith that righteousness, the righteousness that satisfies God. So we know uh, the atonement is only accomplished one way. And that is through the, the perfect righteousness of Christ. He is our perfect substitute, born under the law, born uh, uh, of, a, of a woman. He grew up, uh, he walked in our shoes. He was subject to the same law. But as God's obedient son, he was perfectly, uh, he perfectly demonstrated an obedience that fully satisfied the law. And on that basis, God forgives us because he has applied Christ's righteousness to us. And, and that cover is what we ought to be thinking about if it, if it, if it helps us, because that's way, the way that God perceives us. We are declared not guilty and we're and so in a legal sense, we possess that righteousness of Christ. But you know that God still has plenty of work to do in our hearts because we're creatures of habit. And, and, and through the application of sanctifying grace, he works uh, things in our lives, people. Uh, he, he, he subjects us to teaching from scripture. He leads us into certain passages and opens our eyes. And these things all work together. To, to build us up in the faith and to sanctify us. All right, so lastly, I, I would just like to make a few, uh, a few concluding comments. Uh, like clothing which covers our bodies, the righteousness of Christ is offered to us as a covering without which we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And so with that, we, uh, we have a, a perfect righteousness before God and we are accepted and nothing can take that away. We are justified by a righteousness that is not our own. It's the, it's the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ that's applied to us by faith in Christ. We were talking about the Passover and the Passover, the lamb's blood was put in a, uh, some kind of a container and then a brush made of a plant called hyssop was dipped into that. And then the, the doorposts were struck, leaving blood on them and the lintel was uh, struck as well. And so the picture there is that Christ died on the cross for us, but unless that is applied to our hearts, that's what's shown by the, uh, the application with the, uh, the hyssop. And unless Christ's work on the Calvary is not applied to us by giving us a robe of righteousness, um, we have to have faith to get that. So the thing is, my point is that Christ died on the cross, but his death and the benefits of it must be applied to our hearts. And it is applied to those who believe by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us uh, that robe of righteousness and that brings about every change that we see in, in our hearts. He's the one that transforms and regenerates by means of the word. And so I have a bit of a suggestion, just as uh, it's worthwhile for us every time we sit down to have a meal to, to give thanks 
Perhaps every time we get dressed in the morning and we put on our clothing, it would be a reminder for us that we possess by faith that foreign righteousness that makes us absolutely innocent before God. Let's pray. Father, with great joy, we know that your blessing is, uh, is, a, is a blessing that uh, can never be taken from us. The righteousness of Christ that we possess by faith is, is something that cannot be corrupted or impeached or disqualified. And Father, that gives us comfort because it gives us such assurance. We know that it is not a physical effort that saves, but only the righteousness of Christ that satisfied the demands of the law. And so, Father, we rejoice that we are fully and completely saved and that there's nothing that will ever threaten that. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And we rejoice with this great doctrine that gives us such comfort. In Jesus' name, amen.